Good evening, and welcome to Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years this evening and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. Central Time. That's 6 p.m. Eastern Time right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaricarpell.com. And today is Sunday, March the 12th, 2023, and I'm psychologist Dr. Mara Carpell, and we are back live from beautiful Austin, Texas after a little bit of a break. And we have another great program in store for you today. Art Mendoza of Accomplice Entertainment, producer of this program, is here with us to make the show run smoothly as usual. And in a little while after the break, we'll be joined by Dr. Greg Grossman, hospice and workplace chaplain and professor, to discuss his new book, Times of Perseverance, Hope and Healing on the Battlefields of Life. And then later in the program, the twins, Ruben and Minerva, in the Bay of Bandera, will be back to join us to talk about travel to Mexico City. And along the way, I'll continue my discussion of living with passion and caregiving in the new normal. After the show, you can hear this evening's program again by going to my website, and the link to the podcast will be posted later tonight, along with any of the website links given by my guests on the program. You can also hear the podcast in as soon as five minutes after the show ends by going directly to blogtalkradio.com slash yourgoldenyears, and it'll also be available on Apple Podcasts right after the show. For information from previous programs, to listen to previous programs, you can go to my website, drmaricarpell.com, and all of my previous shows here on Blog Talk Radio are, for the past nine years, uh, will be on blogtalkradio.com slash years as well as on Apple Podcasts. And for upcoming programs and future events, be sure to follow me on Facebook. Dr. Mara Carpell, Your Golden Years. This show is produced by Accomplice Entertainment and Psyched Up Productions and sponsored by MightyGoodTime.com. All right, wondering what to do these days after you're 50? How about having a mighty good time? It's free to search, free to post, and much more. Whether it's in person or virtual, anything can be found to connect with other people. So be more active and start connecting again with other people. Go to amightygoodtime.com. That's amightygoodtime.com. All right, we're going to take a brief break to play some of our other sponsors' commercials. Um, But don't go anywhere. It'll be very brief, and we'll be back shortly um, with Dr. Greg Grossman to talk about his new book, Times of Perseverance, Hope, and Healing in the Battlefields of Life. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Super psychologist Dr. Mara Carpell will be back after words from our sponsors. Are you or a loved one a Medicare beneficiary? Help save you and Medicare money by stopping Medicare fraud. Fraud happens when Medicare is billed services or supplies you never received. There are three easy things you can do to prevent fraud. Review your Medicare claims for accuracy. Protect your personal information. 
and look for any suspicious activity. For more information or to report fraud, call Medicare at 1-800-MEDICARE or call your local Medicare SHIP program at 1-800-252-9240. Please visit us on the web at www.drmaricarpel.com. All right, and we are back. If you're just joining us, this is Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaracarpell.com. And now joining us on the phone from right here in Texas is Dr. Greg Grossman, um, who is a hospice and workplace chaplain, a life coach, and the author of the new book, Times of Perseverance, Hope and Healing on the Battlefields of Life. Welcome, Greg. Hi, Dr. Mara. Great to be here. Uh, So good to have you here. Thanks for joining us. Um, so, So, Greg, you know, you and I spoke for a while on the phone a few days ago, so I got to hear your very interesting history And maybe you can tell our listeners a little bit about your history and then also what led you to write this book. Sure. Uh, I was raised in the New York City area, and um, I I attended college, and it just wasn't the right time. So I left school and uh, went back to school later on in my late 20s, and graduated college uh, with the hopes of going on to do some graduate work in counseling. Um, those plans were thwarted when I was hit by a car, which was my, my error. I was running, um, you know, with traffic behind me. I wasn't paying attention. should have been running against traffic and uh, was seriously injured. Uh, it was at that mm. time, you know, that, that uh, when that accident happened, um, that um, my my brother several years prior uh, had been severely brain injured in an automobile accident, and um, I saw so I, I finished up my work in South Florida and moved down here to Dallas, Texas. Uh, continued on in my my corporate sales, high tech sales uh, work, and uh, and then entered um, back to school to complete my my master's degree. Uh, but at this time, I went on to seminary, um, then feel led to complete my counseling degree and uh, finished up school and became a workplace chaplain at Marketplace Chaplains. And this past summer, I took on work as a hospice chaplain. And when I got my master's degree and went on for my doctorate, shortly thereafter graduating, I um was uh, hired as an adjunct professor at Louisiana Baptist University. I teach in the in the Christian Counseling Department. I also earn my my uh, dual coaching certifications, and so I teach uh, Christian Life Coaching classes to the students uh, at Louisiana Baptist University in seminary. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so what led you to write this book about grief and perseverance? Well, uh, I wanted, you know, I, I dedicated my book, Dr. Merritt, to those who have been wounded in life, whether mm. it's physically, emotionally, or spiritually. 
Um, and this will always be my purpose for writing Times of Perseverance, Hope, and Healing on the Battlefields of Life. You see, I wanted people experiencing grief, loss, and pain to know that they are not alone, that there is hope, and that they will endure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So... Um, I know that you you mentioned and and it's actually in the in the summary of your book that in mm. that while you were writing the book, COVID hit, and so you have a postscript. Can can you tell us about that? The postscript. Sure, uh, sure. Um, let me just let the let the listener know that I was ready to um, to submit my manuscript. Um, I actually was working on it uh, after the first of the year in 2020 and was prepared to submit it um, early part of the summer. And then, of course, COVID ravaged the globe. And um, with that happening, uh, my mother had underlying medical uh, issues. Um, She had contracted COVID, and sadly, she she had passed away unexpectedly. Um, Mm -hmm. It was a very, very sad, difficult time for, for, for me and my wife and my family. Uh, and so that said, uh, I, get, I received an extension from my publisher, uh, you know, to grieve and to take some time uh, away from finishing manuscript. And I was impressed on my heart to, um, you know, to God impressed on my heart to write a postscript to comfort others uh, with loss associated with with COVID, and I did just that. I wrote about the actual experience about learning about my mother's passing, and all the feelings associated with that. And then I was able to provide some hope, encouragement, and inspiration to the reader in this postscript about loss and grief, uh, you know, that's associated with with COVID. And that's what I was able to do unexpectedly but i was able to use that time to to write to uh to uh to the world who really needed some 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 um, hope and some encouragement mm-hmm. and some mm-hmm. inspiration during a very very difficult time for a lot of people yeah and i think a lot of people well i know a lot of people are still experiencing quite a bit of grief and trauma around this pandemic so <laughs> It, it comes, you know, having books about hope, uh, you know, the timing is right for that. Um, yes. You know, um, and, and as we spoke, there's all kinds of losses that people have suffered during COVID, not just, not only, I shouldn't say just, not only, um, you know, the deaths of loved ones, but you know, losses of jobs and income and social connection and, and that sort of thing as well. So, um, and there's a lot of fear involved as well. So, mm. yeah, and people are still dealing with that on top of just regular life. <laughs> Um, before COVID, which, you know, always grief has always, you know, everybody has um, always dealt with grief. Everybody will at some point have some form of grief in their life. It's it's pretty much unavoidable. Mm. So 
so what are some of the takeaways from your personal experience in, in going through these very difficult times as well as your professional experience, um, you know, working with people who are in grief, certainly in hospice? Sure. Uh, you know, it, it's a process, you know, when you go through a difficult time, um, it's, it's a lot of patience and I certainly, uh, um, have worked with counselors, uh, you know, after my brother had his uh, traumatic brain injury, I was preparing to go back to school and take some courses. And uh, so I seeked out the, uh, the university counselor and worked uh, with him, and it was a big help. Uh, and uh, I learned also that um, that it, it that the real healing comes from within, you know, and that self-care is very important. It's important when you're experiencing a loss or any sort of life adversity to take care of yourself and to be patient, have a strong or cohesive support network around you. And um, talking with a counselor helps. It's very important to have somebody to talk to. Uh, And that's what I did. And that actually, um, Played a played a role. At least my mother's passing and all the other deaths that I experienced um, as a result of COVID. Because when I uh, lost my mother, um, I had several other losses on top of my mother. I mean, my father-in-law mm-hmm. passed away four days later. He had been on hospice, so my wife and I both lost our parents. You know, in a matter of days. And even though my father-in-law was ill before my mother passed. And so uh, I lost, um, you know, my, my, my wife's mother, my mother-in-law had Alzheimer's, uh, you know, and she was in a, in a, in a facility. She's had it for a number of years. She had taken a, a decline and it passed. And then the subject of my book, Times of Perseverance, my, my severely disabled brother, my brand new brother, Todd, uh, took a decline and he had passed away uh, mm-hmm. last summer. Um, you know, and then mm-hmm. I lost my aunt not that long ago and, and several friends, three friends and a, a mentor at seminary graduate professor who was like a mentor to me. So from all those losses, I really, it really helped me, uh, uh appreciate, uh, the sanctity of life. And it helped me understand the, um, the, the human and the spiritual condition when it comes to life. You said earlier, Dr. Mara, and I mentioned that in my book about grief is unavoidable. It's a painful reality of life. And it's only when it happens, it changes the, per- it changed me. And, and it made me realize that um, once I learned uh, about the pain, experienced the pain and went through that process that I was now equipped to be able to be a support for others. And so Mm -hmm. I accepted a job as a hospice chaplain working with patients and their family members. And I believe it was because of the losses I had, you know, both the, my own traumatic brain injury and head injuries and my brothers. And of course my mother and all the other losses thereafter has prepared me to be able to um, be there for um, people who are terminally ill to support them and their family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, uh, do you did you find or have you found that um, turning your your grief, your the things that the the difficulties that you had in your life, turning it into a purpose to help other people? Do you feel like that has helped you? In return, in 
adding to your resilience? Yes, absolutely. That has that has um, that has given me meaning and purpose. And because I've experienced that pain and have had people there to support and you know to pour into me, uh, and now that I've have have healed and continue to heal, um, it's given me. Um, a, it's it's a very I, I feel a sense of purpose every day that I wake up that I'm called to do what I'm doing, and I feel a sense of purpose, and I can be able to um, give back to others and support others uh, who are hurting or, or struggling, and uh, it is because of what I went through, and because of what I went through, I I I experienced healing and restoration, and now I can go out and provide that or be of support to others. Mhm, mhm. Yeah, you know, you see that a lot with, for example, like mothers against drunk drivers, right? Those are usually mm-hmm. mothers who experience the loss of their child by a drunk driver, and um, several other um, organizations that are are in place by people who suffered some sort of uh, loss or great difficulty that that then turn into um, a way of helping other people. And it seems like that in itself is very healing for the person. Yes, that's a great point. It's, it's, it, it's do, doing that, as, as you just mentioned, and what I've been doing is being there to help others. Uh, certainly as a hospice chaplain, a workplace chaplain, as, a, as, a, as an adjunct professor, but also just to walk alongside someone. It could be a friend or someone you, you, know, you just meet, you just start talking to who has experienced a loss. And so I learned many, many years ago from a mentor to, uh, to keep this closed, and the mentor pointed to their mouth, and then he says, keep this open, and he pointed to his ear and his heart. So it's by doing that where um, I can just have uh, a presence with them, you know, we call that a ministry of presence in, in chaplaincy and pastoral care. It's a ministry of presence, just, just being quiet and keeping your ears and your heart open to be there. Mm-hmm. And that comforts others. Just They just know that you're there and you're, you're there for them and you're available and, and that your presence is there. And that's, that's deeply appreciated by them. Mm-hmm. 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 That, that makes me think about, you know, what, what you what kind of advice you would give to the people mm-hmm. around somebody who is dealing with grief because i know that a lot of times when people suffer a loss um they feel very lonely because their friends don't know what to do um sometimes their friends avoid them because they feel like they might say the wrong thing and that can be worse for someone who's going through grief. So so what sort of advice would you give to yeah. a friend or a family member of somebody who is dealing with loss of grief? I, I would share with them that you're not alone, that uh, grief is unavoidable. It's a painful reality of life. However, whether it's grief with a, lo- a loved one, whether it's grief with a, with a pet, a cat or a dog or a pet, or it's a loss of a job. Uh, loss comes in different forms. But whatever it may be, you're not alone, and that I would encourage you to, um, to talk to others. 
talk to others and maybe be involved in a grief support group. You can reach mm-hmm. out to a number of grief support groups in the community. You can, there are grief support groups, and then there's also there may be something through, uh, through your religious organization uh, that you can seek out. Uh, but I would encourage you to do that. And if you can, I would encourage you to talk to a counselor, particularly someone who specializes in grief. Um, but wherever you are at, it, 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 I said, I, first of all, grief is very subjective. We all grieve in different ways. But I just want you to know, as I'm talking to the listeners out here who may be experiencing that right now, is to know that you're not alone and that it's going to be okay. And And keep this in mind that now you're a survivor, and survivors never, ever quit. Mm, remember mm-hmm. that. And you'll remember that, folks. Right, right. Okay. I, yeah. I, You know, there's an exercise that you mentioned at the end of your book, which I really, mm. I really love, that you talk about uh, what you, you, thinking about what you would say to a close friend who's coping with grief. Um, mm. And saying that to yourself, um, can you talk a little bit about that? Sure, sure. Um, you know, my, my a dear friend of mine from seminary had mentioned that to me uh, that exercise, and I actually, you know, I I, I, I did it and 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 learned a lot. Uh, a lot of uh, it was very healing. And so, what I say to the listeners is imagine your loved one is sitting across the table from you uh, and they were talking with you um, and uh, what would they say to you about how to, you know, to move on, how to grieve. And so this exercise gets you engaged with your loved one. uh, And the response is, is, is pertinent to, to you and the relationship you have with this person who you've lost. But that exercise really helped me. It helped me, um, you know, in my case, my mother would, she would, she would, she would say, Greg, uh, always remember me. You know, when I got married, my mother always used to tell me, you know, now you're married, just keep a a, a place in your heart for your mother and always have. And that's what she'd say to me. She says, I want you to go on and, 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 and live your life. Uh, But that exercise is important because we have to, imagine that our loved one is there talking to us and then we have to imagine what they would say and then what whatever they say to you internalize that not just in your head but get it down in your heart marry the head and the heart and then begin to contemplate on that reflect upon that and begin to know that their presence is very much with you uh, that exercise is very powerful it was you know very application oriented but it also showed me the, the you know how my my, my mother and uh, well your loved one whoever it may be is with you and that in that exercise in that moment they're talking to you and you're now internalizing that and being able to you know to process that uh, in the way that you know how to and be able to make sense of that not just in your mind but in your heart and that will mm-hmm. help uh, work through the the stage that you're at uh, as you're going through this process of grief. Mhm, mhm. Yeah, that seems like it would be very powerful. Um, so I know that you have some coaching that you do, and it and I mm-hmm. and I looked at your website. You have both, you know, a faith based coaching because you mm-hmm. know you mm-hmm. went to seminary, but you also have mm-hmm. life coaching for people who are 
are not religious and might have different religious beliefs, more of a secular coaching. Um, can you talk about that? What what that would be for, or who that be, who would that be appropriate for? Sure. Well, I have two dual certifications. Um, I'm a double life coach, and I'm also what's called a life breakthrough coach, and that is geared towards a secular population for the people who are non-religious. It has a change model, and that entails working with people who are at a place in their life and they desire to be at another place, but they're stuck for some reason. They they, they, they need some support and guidance. So I, I provide that uh, for people, for example, who are going through some um, transitions in life. And transitions come in many different forms. It could be a job. It could be a separation, a divorce. It could be a loss of a loved one, a death. Um, and uh, it could be changing your health uh, emotionally, physically, uh, spiritually. And so I, I will uh, work with people who are going through transition. It's transitional coaching. Um, and I'll do um, some – I like to do some career coaching and job coaching because I, I'm a former – a recruiter. I was in the recruiting industry for a number of years, mm-hmm. uh, and have experienced that. That again has prepared me. Uh, you know, didn't see it when I was going through it. Many of you will not see these things that you're going through when you're going through it. We never do, but at some point, those things will. You know, be, you'll be able to reflect upon those in retrospect, and and you'll be able to use them to help you. So I, I, I work with people who are you know in transition with their job or have challenges. I, I work with small businesses. You know, do a lot of on-site coaching. Uh, and do, mm-hmm. do some life balance coaching um, with people, and um, and then those are the areas that I focus. And I'll do some health and wellness coaching too, because uh, that's a big part of my life. Or my lifestyle is uh, health and wellness. And I had just over four years uh, from after I finished graduate school, uh, I'd lost about 65 pounds and I've taken better care of myself wow. and saw mm-hmm. an improvement in my, in, in my, in my, uh, in my, in my labs. In fact, I pre, uh, pre-reversed, rever- actually I was pre-diabetic, pre-diabetic and I reversed that. So I, I've learned from my own experience and want very much to be able to help others because I have been there myself. So I'm, those are pretty much my specialties, uh, which I just mentioned, Dr. Mara. Okay. Do you do that um, virtually? Can you can you see people who mm-hmm. don't live in your area? Yes. Yes. My services are available via Zoom. I can do it through Zoom. I can do it telephonically or through Skype, uh, and those are available. Um, and that it makes it available to people who are out of my city, which here is where I live in, in Dallas, Fort Worth. Uh, so I am able to communicate with people and do uh, light break to coaching. Uh, through through virtual means uh, in addition to the telephone and of course in person if they're able to locally. okay okay wonderful um so what would be the best way for people to find out about your your coaching and also about your book what would be the best way for that Sure. If you want to learn about my coaching, uh, let me encourage you first to go to my website. I'll say it slowly because it's a long word. It's www.beyond, B-E-Y-O-N-D, perseverance, P-E-R-S-E-V-E-R-A-N-C-E.com. And you can go to my website, and if you want to inquire about uh, my coaching, you can send me a message on there. Also, my book is available on Amazon. Uh, there's a link on my site to take it to Amazon, but if you 
or not on my site and you want to just go on Amazon in the search bar, type Grossman Perseverance or Times of Perseverance, and that will uh, access you to my book. It will give you a brief description, and you have an opportunity to, to purchase that if, if you're led to. Okay, wonderful. Um, I'm going to actually post the link to your website and to your book Amen. on my – Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> so that will be on my uh, website later tonight on the post about this show. So people, if they didn't have their pen and paper ready, they can just go there and click on it. Okay. Thank you. That sounds great. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, Greg, for, for being on the program this evening. Um, I think, you know, it's a really important topic. Thank you very much, Dr. Mara, for having me on your show. It was great to be here and to 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 talk to the to the listeners all right well you take care now have a wonderful week thank you very much you too uh, have a great okay great rest of your day all right okay bye-bye bye-bye okay we're going to take a brief break uh don't go anywhere we'll be right back are you or a loved one a medicare beneficiary Help save you and Medicare money by stopping Medicare fraud. Fraud happens when Medicare is billed services or supplies you never received. There are three easy things you can do to prevent fraud. Review your Medicare claims for accuracy, protect your personal information, and look for any suspicious activity. For more information or to report fraud, call Medicare at 1-800-MEDICARE or call your local Medicare SHIP program at 1-800-252-9240. Dr. Mara's book, The Passionate Life, Creating Vitality and Joy at Any Age, is now available on Kindle and in paperback at Amazon. Don't forget to listen to Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years live from Austin, Texas, every Sunday on blogtalkradio.com. And we're back. If you're just joining us, this is Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaracarpell.com. And um, in that same vein uh, that we were discussing about finding your purpose, even um, in difficult times and using what we have learned from the difficulty um, to help others, um, that in itself can become your passion. So, you know, I talk a lot about passionate living and um, certainly following your dreams and doing things that you have always wanted to do can be part of your passion. But I think a really important part of it in order to feel passionate about life is to feel like whatever you're doing has purpose and meaning. And we are often brought into situations. We often come into situations where we didn't expect to be. Um, Difficulties, and as um, Greg was talking about, um, grief um, and COVID, the long three years of, of COVID and isolation and 
and losses, um, as well as the situation of having family members and loved ones growing older. And we didn't really think about what this would entail, what what difficulties that might mean um, for their life or for our lives. And we can turn that into our passion. We can find meaning in the difficulties that we face in our lives and turn it into something that we feel passionate about, turn it into purpose and meaning in our um, our effort to help people. So, you know, as Greg, Dr. Greg was talking about, you know, he turned his um, grief and loss into something purposeful and and that is his passion now and he didn't expect it as he said you don't realize um all the things that you're learning along the way and how they will be used at a later point um in unexpected circumstances so in that line of thinking i want to talk about caregiving and the issue of caregiving has always been um, a struggle for many people. And now, especially um, in this new normal, after three years of a global pandemic that is still affecting especially um, elderly people, it still has an impact on the way that we are able to caregive for people. And I noticed you know, as you know my mom has gotten older and is now living in a long-term care facility that um in helping her it has led me back to my passion which was originally when I was in graduate school that of helping older people and helping to improve quality of life. And uh, rather than seeing, taking care of my mom as a chore, it's become that uh, it's a, it's a, uh, it's an effort of love and of passion, not just love for my mother, which is a big part of it, but also my passion for helping older people. And my hope is that in helping her, I can also help other people as well. So, you know, when we feel that we're helping others, our path takes on a whole new level of meaning and peacefulness. And this becomes our purpose. So in finding our passion, we can look at how we can bring more light into the world how we can bring more light into the lives of other people. And when we are helping other people, this can be really powerful in improving our own feeling of well-being. So at first, this seemed like a big, um, difficult time that I had to now find a way to help my mom in dealing with um, living in a nursing facility having to deal with quarantines every time somebody tested positive on her in her household or her unit 
Um, at first, it felt really um, overwhelming. And then I started thinking about all of the things that I have learned along the way in my professional life and how to use it for my mom. And if you've been listening to this program, you know that I the idea of restarting a family council in her community. Apparently, there had been a family council, and it ended because of COVID or lack of um, participation. I'm not really sure. But now that I've gotten to know several family members that are very involved, in um, the care of their loved ones in the in my mom's community, um, I have spoken with them, and they are very interested in having a family council. So, I want to talk about one of the benefits are of a family council. If you if your loved one is living in a long term care community, it can be a skilled nursing facility or even assisted living. Um, there are uh, in several of the assisted living communities I have worked in, there have been very active family councils. Um, so some of the benefits of a family council include being a supportive network of family members and loved ones of the residents in the facility. So it can be family members and it can be close friends. Not everybody has a family member who's active in their care, but they do have close friends that are active, that visit them often, that are involved and advocate for them. So it's not exclusive to family members um, join the family council. And um, it can provide sensitive and caring support from other family members and friends, as well as important information um, that that can be passed around between family members and friends about the facility or about resources in the community. Um, one of the pieces of information that I plan to share with the Family Council is something that I learned from the statewide Family Council um, in the state where my mom lives, she lives in Connecticut, and there is a statewide family council. Um, and they informed me that there is a law that was recently passed in Connecticut, and I believe it's here in Texas as well, called the Essential Support Person. Um, it's, an act, it's an act concerning essential support persons. And this act involves long-term care facility residents um, in nursing homes and in managed residential communities. They are allowed to designate up to two essential support people, family members, friends, people that they consider their support people who can um, continue to visit them even if there's another public health emergency that locks down the facility to visitors. So if there's another pandemic, which we hope does not happen, um, the two essential support people would not be locked out as long as they follow the health guidelines, wearing their protective uh, PPE and masks 
and testing, any kind of testing that's required to make sure that they're not contagious or carrying um, a virus or whatever the infection might be. But that's a really important piece of information that I didn't know about, and that's something that I will pass along to the other family members in the group. Um, the family council can provide opportunities to improve the quality of life, the well-being, and the happiness of all residents. So family council um, is a group, is a, is a unified voice to talk about any kind of areas that need improvement to the administration, to the department heads that can benefit not only their loved ones, but other, but the other residents in the community. It can provide a venue for family members and loved ones to share and discuss concerns without reservation because um, the family council is completely member-led. So there are no department heads or administration at the family council meetings. Um, unless they have been invited by special invitation to discuss issues, you know, that the family council has agreed to discuss with them. So people don't need to worry about the things that they say. Um, and it can be a place to problem solve and come up with solutions together to issues. A lot of the issues that come up, um, in, within the facility don't need um, huge uh, fixes by the administration. They just need some problem solving. And sometimes the department heads are not thinking about the practical problem solving. They're thinking about bigger issues that they're trying to prevent. So family members can, can kind of problem solve. And if they need the administration or the department heads the nursing staff to do something different, it can be presented in a positive way that, hey, we have an idea for a solution to this problem that a lot of the residents are dealing with. Um, and in that way, it can provide input on nursing home decisions and, and action and shared concerns with the nursing home. And it can also build trusting relationships with the families and loved ones uh, along with the nursing home staff. So um, it doesn't have to be an adversarial relationship. Um, in fact, when I spoke with the um, statewide family council, they talked about using some of the time to, to work on ways of showing appreciation to the caregivers and to the staff. Um, to have a fundraiser and, and give gifts, things like that. So it's a give and take. It, you know, you want it to be a positive experience for everyone and to improve um, the quality of life for the residents and even the staff and the family members and loved ones because it's all, you know, we're all affected by how the residents are, are doing in the home. It's, it's a win-win situation when it's not um, an adversarial relationship. So we're in the process of, of forming this family council. I have the help of the other family members. And um, because many of us 
live out of town um, from our many family members live out of town from their loved ones who is in a facility. Um, many family members have have other obligations, work, and and other sorts of um, obligations during the day that it makes it difficult for them to get to the facility on a specific date for a meeting, and because of the risks, the health risks of COVID or any other infection that might be going around, flu, you know, during flu season, um, et cetera, we're making this family council virtual so that it's on Zoom. And we will all meet on Zoom um, quarterly to discuss these issues and, and come up with plans. So um, starting a family council can seem very overwhelming. Um, I am I am very lucky that I found out about this statewide family council, um, and I think that that this type of group probably exists in most states. It's an arm of the state ombudsman program, and every state. Um, by law, has a statewide ombudsman program. And so I was told that if I have any difficulty starting the family council, that they would support me and they would help. Um, sometimes the administration or the department heads are not too happy about a family council. Maybe they've had a bad experience with family members who have been very adversarial um, and again, the ombudsman program can help with that to overcome their uh, difficulties in getting this program started because of the hesitancy of the administration. But it's really important to approach it in a positive way with the staff and with the administration um, because, you know, the old adage, you can catch more bees with honey than vinegar really applies. And if you can speak about the benefits of having a family council and how it benefits everybody and that it's meant to be a positive experience, then um, my experience has been that it came back, the answer came back very positive that the administration plans on setting, sending out emails to all of the family members to invite them to our first meeting. Um, and they have agreed to allow us to place flyers near in one central area so that those who don't see it on their email can then can see it on a flyer. So, and I have found that in in doing this and and making progress in getting this family council started and in um, Looking at all the benefits of it, I have it has reignited a passion within me, so that it doesn't feel like this very difficult undertaking, but it feels like um, a passionate path for me. And it can be for you as well if you are a caregiver. Um, so it's something to think about. All right. So. Um, 
on that vein, in talking about passion, we are going to go to Mexico with a stop along the way, listening to art music about Mexico. in 
Any guidance offered by Dr. Carpell is not intended to replace the advice of your own physician or mental health specialist. Neither Dr. Carpell, her sponsors, nor this station assumes responsibility for the misuse of any information on this program. Guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.